our church, a girl that we had been praying for since we moved here and that had been being prayed for prior to us even being there, uh, the Lord uh, saw fit to save her. And she testified uh, to the church as well as to us personally that she didn't understand why the Lord would love her, but that she loved Jesus so much and wanted to live her life for his glory. And I say that to say this, when God saves a sinner, he changes their heart. And where there was once no love toward God, there is now. And it was in that same service on that Wednesday night that another boy from another church that uh, in North Carolina that God had been dealing with, uh, we had been praying that God would save him. And uh, the Lord saw fit to save him. There was a preacher there that tried to counsel with him some. And uh, he, uh, when he tried to counsel with him, the boy looked at him and said, I don't need nothing. God's done saved me. And uh, that, I just say that to say that God don't need us. He can save sinners all by himself. And uh, we rejoice in what God uh, is doing in our church and uh, even here and around the world. But uh, I heard it said recently that the church of the living God isn't on the defense, but it's on the offense this morning. And uh, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and God's work shall continue. And in the midst of all of the traveling and all of that, uh, we have started a new membership slash new convert course there at Indian Mission. And the design of that is to, uh, when somebody wants to join the church or if God saves somebody uh, in the church and it's their desire that they uh, be baptized by the church and then added, that we put them through this class. And what the class is designed to do is it is designed to explain very, uh, very clearly what we believe as a church and where we stand on uh, various issues. So that way there's no question that you know what you're getting when you get here. And we explain to them what we expect from them as members and then vice versa what we are offering them as a church and things like that. And I've had the privilege of teaching that. And Lord willing, uh, tomorrow I'll be teaching it again and then again on Tuesday uh, with that young girl that the Lord saved there at camp. So we have been busy. We have been busy on the road as well as filling in other places that the Lord's uh, given opportunity to do so. And so again, I appreciate your prayers for us, and I appreciate the opportunity again to be here. Uh, there are a few things on my heart that uh, I would have you to pray about, some unspoken requests that the Lord knows about, and I covered your prayers about those things that God would, uh, God would uh, work in those situations and accomplish His will. Uh, however, He sees fit. It is good to see you this morning. I am glad to be here. I'm glad to see some familiar faces. I'm even glad to see Brother Bob. Believe it or not, I look forward to seeing Brother Bob this morning. I shouldn't have done it. First thing I said to him when I saw him was, you're still ugly. I should have been kinder to him, but I apologize. In front of everybody, I apologize. But it is good to be here this morning. I am going to go ahead and apologize to Brother Pablo. I'm going to try my best for Pablo to go slow. And if I don't, then you can wave at me or something because I can see you this time. I know where you're at. So I'm going to try to uh, be mindful of Brother Pablo this morning. I'm going to say this and then get into the message. I believe the Word of God should be preached line upon line and precept upon precept. Uh, here, there a little, uh, there a little, and here a little. And I am going to be honest with you, I'm going to break that rule this morning. I'm going to try my best in a timely manner to give you somewhat of an overview of the book of Philippians. Quickly, we're going to use chapter 1 as a springboard and go through just the highlights. Don't get worried. 
of this book and try to pull some thoughts out and be a help to you uh, this morning. So if you will, find your place there in Philippians chapter 1. We will begin reading in verse 1. You find your place. Let's stand together as we read the Word of God. I allow you to uh, stand in honor and reverence of the Word of God. Very familiar uh, passage of Scripture to us, I'm sure, and if not, then hopefully by the end of the message uh, this evening or this morning you will be a little more accustomed to uh, the book of Philippians and maybe it'll whet your appetite. The Lord in recent days has really uh, used the book of Philippians to encourage my own heart and I'm going to try to be an encouragement to you this morning, all right? Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. I'm interested this morning in verse number 6 where the scripture says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Father, we thank you for this day, your goodness, your grace, and your mercy. We thank you for salvation. Thank you for the redemption that is found in Jesus Christ. And Father, we ask you this morning, Lord, as we uh, deal with the Word of God, that you'd help me. Lord, forgive me of where I fail you. Lord, forgive me of thy, my sin, fill me with thy spirit. I pray that you grant liberty and grant unction. I pray that everything that I say would be clearly and easily understood. Father, I pray this morning for Pablo as he translates, Lord, that you'd help him, Lord, to be able to accomplish uh, his task. And Lord, I pray that the Word of God would go forth in power today. Lord, I pray that you would help us, help me, and help this church. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Again, Paul makes the statement in Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The idea of being confident is to convince or to, be, to rely upon. And the verse that we've read uh, is really foundational uh, to the book of Philippians. It is telling us very clearly that if God has begun a good work, that He will complete it. And so with that thought in mind, I want to preach to you on this thought, He's still working on me. He's still working on me. Now, the book of Philippians, it is a small book. It's only four chapters. You can read through it fairly quickly. Uh, one man described the uh, book of Philippians as the Christian experience. That it details for us the highs and lows of uh, the Christian walk or the Christian life, if you will. Uh, the book of Philippians is very practical. It is a book full of uh, practical wisdom. It is a letter that is really an encouragement to uh, those that are at Philippi. But uh, don't misunderstand, there is a boat ton or a boatload, if you will, of doctrine that is packed into this book. Uh, but nonetheless, it is a very practical book. 
Now, uh, by way of introduction, quickly, I want to try to lay a foundation of what's going on. In Philippi, as well as as this is being written, now, if you're familiar with history, I like history, so I'm going to give you some. Uh, the city of Philippi was named after the father of Alexander the Great. His name was, you'll never guess it, Philip. It is said that the city of Philippi uh, won the Roman Empire. That without the city of Philippi, there wouldn't be uh, historically the Roman Empire. That it is said that the great attraction uh, for the city of Philippi uh, was the fact that in its mountains there were mines of gold and there were mines of silver. It is said that there was a gigantic road that, uh, that connected Asia and Europe together. And at the dead center of that trade road was the city of Philippi. But I submit to us this morning that greater than the accomplishments of men in the city of Philippi, greater than the fact that there was a road that connected Asia and Europe together, greater than there was mines of silver and mines of gold, is the fact that the God of heaven sent a gospel preacher to the city of Philippi and by His divine grace saved sinners, changed lives, and started what we know as the first church in Europe. If you read the book of Philippians, you'll find that there are several words that appear in this book. The word gospel is used in the book of Philippians some nine times. The word work is used in this epistle three times. It's used in our text in chapter 1, verse 6, in chapter 2, verse, thir- or, uh, verse 13, and then it's used again in chapter number 2 and verse number 30. And then the word joy, or it's also translating gladness, rejoice, rejoice, it's all the same Greek word. It's used eight times. It is safe to say this morning that the church of Philippi was founded upon the gospel. They were willing to work and they were happy no matter their circumstance. I wonder this morning, could that be said of you and could that be said of me? Could that be said of Maranatha Baptist Church? Could that be said of Indian Mission Baptist Church where I go? That we are founded upon the gospel, willing to work and happy no matter the circumstance. The text that we've read this morning, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. It is foundational to the Christian life. It is a verse that tells us that if God has started something, that it will come to pass. That His work will go according to His plan and His purpose. I don't know about you, but that does my heart some good this morning that if God has begun a work in my heart and in my life and in my ministry and in my marriage and in my, the church that I go to, that I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to fret over it. That it ain't gonna, it's not going to go to pot for it's His work and it's His purpose and it will be accomplished. Could I put it to you plainly this morning that there is no power in earth in heaven or under the earth that will stop the plan and purpose of God Almighty this morning. And if God has begun a good work, you can rest assured that that day will come where He will say complete, where He will say finished. 
upon your life and upon mine. And so as we take that thought of he's still working on me, I don't know about you, but I ain't perfect yet. I sometimes think that I am, and then I look at my wife, and she tells me, no, you ain't. But there will be a day where I will be perfect, where I will be like him, as the Scripture says. That this mortality will put on immortality and this corruption will put on incorruption and we will have the mind of Christ is what the scripture says. Oh, but until then, it may not always seem like God is at work, but we can rest assured if he's begun a good work, he will perform Isn't it a blessing this morning that the scriptures describe the work of God as what? A good work. Not a half-hearted work. Not a work that got started and never got completed. I don't know if your husbands are like that, but I am the world champion of that. Starting something and not finishing. I'm real good at that. You take something apart because you're going to fix it and it leaves broke in the yard for the next six months. That don't happen to y'all. I guess it happens to me. But nonetheless, it's not that way with God this morning. If he's begun a work in you, you can rest assured it will come to pass. It will be complete. So as we think about this, I'd have you to notice, number one, God's work or the reality of God's work in redeeming sinners. Look at how the, our text opens up in chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. These verses open up telling, introducing to us a man by the name of Paul and a man by the name of Timotheus, or as we would know him, Timothy. These two men, there wasn't really anything uh, significant about them, really, other than this fact. God had redeemed them from their sin. Think about Paul. You remember him well. He, was the, uh, he described himself as uh, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews, that he was a Pharisee, that concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the law, that he was blameless. We remember reading of his conversion well, that over there in, in the book of Acts, that he uh, receives letters from the chief priest to go and persecute the church of God and to destroy all of those that were, as he said, of that way. And he's going down the road in Damascus, going toward Damascus, riding along on his donkey, and the God of heaven showed up as bright as the noonday sun and knocked him off his donkey, and he's laid flat on the ground and says, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord says, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And he responds with, well, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And we know from that time forward that the God of heaven changed his heart, changed his life. Well, we often say uh, that the Lord turns somebody's world upside down. I've been wrong about that. Really what he does is he turns somebody's world right side up. And that's exactly what he did in the life of the Apostle Paul was he saved him and he changed him from the inside out. Oh, and then we are introduced to this man, Timothy. Now, we don't know much about Timothy. Scriptures don't tell us much about 
him, really. We do know if you read First Timothy that he had a he had a mother that was a Jew and a Greek that was a and a father that was a Greek. That uh, he, uh, according to Acts chapter sixteen, that he was a disciple when Paul uh, lands uh, when Paul is uh, traveling and ministering in the gospel. You read about it in the first time in the beginning of Acts chapter sixteen. We don't know a whole lot about uh, this man Timothy. We do know though uh, that his name it means honoring God. We don't know when, we don't know where, but we do know that something happened to Timothy. And it was this, God redeemed him from his sin. What about the folk there? I'm going somewhere with this. Uh, what about the folk there at Philippi? You remember it, don't you? Uh, that uh, Paul and Silas, they're uh, traveling in one of their missionary journeys and uh, they desire to preach the gospel in Bithynia. They desire to preach the gospel in Asia. And the Holy Ghost says, no, you can't go over there. And he says, well, we'll fill the Great Commission over there in Bithynia. And God said, no, you can go over there if you want to, but I ain't going there with you. Now you theologians explain that one to me. A hard one, isn't it? This we do know, that in the night, God, Paul received what we know as the Macedonian vision. You follow me so far? And he sees that man of Macedonia come and say, uh, come and help us. And they get on a boat, and they travel to Macedonia. They land on the shores of Philippi, and what's it say? They meet women there wanting to have prayer. And they meet that woman, Lydia, who is a seller of purple. And what's the Bible say about her? The Bible says that God opened her heart. Put it to you like this, God saved her. They're going through the city and they're ministering in the gospel and they meet that woman possessed with the spirit of divination, uh, that demonic spirit, and the scripture says they cast the spirit out of her. And what in the world happened to that lady? God saved her. And we know the rest of the account that, uh, that uh, those that had possession of that woman, they were upset because they couldn't get gained from her no more. And they have them, uh, Paul and Silas, stoned and beaten and thrown in prison. Uh, and uh, as there in prison it says at midnight uh, Paul and Silas sang praises unto God and God sent a great earthquake and opened the doors of the prison, loosed the bands of the prisoners and the Philippian jailer comes in supposing that they had all fled and he uh, supposing that they were gone, he's going to kill himself and Paul says hold up, wait a minute pump the brakes, we're all here ain't nobody left yet and he comes and says in the scriptures trembling and said sirs what must I do to be saved. And Paul says, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You know what's interesting? God saved Lydia and the house of Lydia. God saved the woman of the spirit of divination. Uh, God saved the Philippian jailer and all of his house. You know the rest of the account there that those in the city heard about what was going on and they're going to get rid of Paul. They're going to get rid of Silas. We don't want them in our city no more. And what it says at the end of the chapter is this, that Paul and Silas greeted the brethren at Lydia's house. God started the church of Philippi by redeeming sinners. And can I say this this morning? The salvation of sinners is God's job. And He's real good at His job this morning. The, the same God that saved Paul and the same God that saved Timothy and the same God that saved Lydia and the woman and the Philippian jailer 
And everybody else that made up the church of Philippi is the same God that reached down in the muck and the mire where you were and saved your soul. I wonder this morning, has salvation ever happened to you? Huh? Has God ever come looking for you and by divine grace uh, reached down into your sin, uh, into your sin pit and lifted you up and set you upon a rock and established your goings and put in your heart a new song? I wonder this morning, has God ever changed you from the inside out? You see, religion, it'll change some people. Sure enough, it'll change you from the outside. Oh, religion, it'll put a, it'll put a new suit on the old man. Oh, but salvation by grace through faith will put a new man in the old suit. Has your heart ever been changed? Has your life I'm not asking you, can you uh, read every confession and recite every point of the London's Baptist Confession and the, uh, this? No, 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 no. What I'm asking you, does God live inside of you? It hit me the other day that the life of God is inside of me. That hit me. I know, I know it, but it hit me that the same power that resurrected the Lord Jesus from the grave is the same power that resides inside of you if you're born again. You say, hold on, wait a minute. I don't know about this being born again business. I don't know about this being saved business. Well, here's what Jesus said. Unless you're born again, you cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. You must be born again. If you're not born again, the scripture says you're lost. You are dead in your trespasses and your sins. That you are at enmity with God. That you are an enemy of God. You are on opposite sides with God. And that your sin, your rebellion against God, one day will be judged. And I'm not the judge. Brother Bruce isn't the judge. Uh, Brother Bob isn't the judge. Brother Tom isn't the judge. But the judge of all the earth is God Almighty that is perfect and right in everything that He does. And He will judge sin. And those that are found outside of Jesus Christ uh, not uh, having their sins forgiven and place their faith in Christ, the Scripture says that they will be bound hand and foot and they will be cast in the lake of fire which burneth forever and ever and ever. The Scripture says it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. I've got really good news for you this morning. Though you may be an enemy of God, though you may be on opposing sides with God, God in His love and God in His mercy toward mankind sent Jesus Christ into the world for the sole purpose of saving sinners, of saving white sinners and black sinners and Hispanic sinners and uh, tall sinners and short sinners and rich ones and poor ones and smart ones and unlearned ones. No matter where you are this morning and no matter what you've done, you've not gone so far and you've not done so much that the grace of God can't forgive your sin and change your heart and change your life like it did for Paul like it did for Timothy, like it did for all of those in Philippi. Beloved, it was God that sought us. It was God that saved us. 
It was God that redeemed us from our sin. It was God that saved us and changed us from the inside out. We didn't have no part of that. No, 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 no. It was all God from beginning to end. Jonah got a whole lot of stuff wrong, but he got it right when he said, salvation is of the Lord. God's good work in redeeming fallen sinners. He's real good at it this morning. And He can do that for you. Oh, if you'd see how the exceeding sinfulness of your sin, that you are a sinner with no hope and no help and no ability to save yourself or change your own self, but that God, through Jesus Christ, can save you and change you for time and eternity. What must I do to be saved? Repent and believe. Turn from your sin and trust Jesus Christ that He died upon the cross not for just people in general, not for this one or that one, but that it was your sin, that it was your iniquity, that it was your rebellion that nailed Him to the cross, that He was buried in Joseph's tomb. But thank God that He resurrected the third day with life and liberty to all who believe. If He didn't resurrect our faith in vain, what Paul said, there'd be no point in none of this. We could go home, close your Bible, and never open it again. There would be no point in none of this. If that tomb there in Jerusalem still has a man's body laying in it, then it's done. It's over with. He's no different than any other man or any other prophet that ever lived. But I've got good news this morning. You can go to Mohammed's tomb, there's a man there. You can go to Buddha's tomb, there's a man there. To whatever false god and false prophet you want to go to, uh, they are still uh, dead in the ground. But if you go to Joseph's tomb this morning, you are going to find that it is empty. You are going to find that Jesus is no longer there. Why? Because he laid his life down a ransom for my sin and your sin and it was by his own power that he resurrected and he took it up again. Amen. God's work in redeeming sinners. But number two, I'd have you to notice God's work in our reasonable service. Go with me to chapter number 2. Chapter number 2 and verse number 2. Scriptures read, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Go with me to chapter, or to chapter 2 and verse 12. A few verses later, Paul says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Look at verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you both the will and the do of his good pleasure. That word worketh, in the King James, I'm not sure what it is in the other one, so you'll have to forgive me. But the word work is there is the Greek word energeo. We get the English word from that word energy, ability, 
power. Now, I went to three and a half years of Bible college to give you what I'm about to give you. Are you ready? It is reasonable for God to expect you to live for Him if He saved you by His grace. Amen. Boy, that was hard, wasn't it? Man, I paid a lot of money to figure that one out. If we accomplish anything, we've seen how it is God which saves sinners. But let me say this, He does not save sinners on accident. He does not save sinners uh, without a plan in mind. God did not save you by His grace for you to sit on a comfortable purple, red, burgundy, whatever color chair that is. God saved you on purpose for a purpose Amen. this morning. You read the context of chapter 2, you'll find that Paul describes very plainly who Jesus was. He's God, he's man, he died upon the cross, and then he makes this statement that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's chapter 2, verse 10, verse number 11. Then he makes the statement in verse number 12, wherefore, wherefore. That is an old English word that means because of, as a result of. Paul says, because of what I just said, because Jesus is Lord this morning, you must work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's in there. It's verse number 12. Don't misunderstand me now. I am by no means saying that you're working to gain salvation. We know better than that. But what this verse is telling us is that we ought to work because we have been saved. You say, all right, preacher, God saved me and I want to do something for Him. What's it going to look like? Man, you ask such good questions. You get a gold star for the service this morning. There must be an expectation, first of all, of suffering. Read these words in chapter 1, verse number 29. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, listen to this phrase, but to suffer for His sake. Now, this word suffer, it means to feel pain or to suffer badly. It's the same word as in the Gospel of Matthew when Jesus uh, tells his disciples that he must suffer many things at the hands of the, of the chief priests, the scribes, and the Pharisees. Same word. We know that the life and ministry of Jesus Christ was full of suffering. Think about it. God of very gods left the splendor and glory of heaven, condescended to man, men of low estate. The Creator, as the Scripture says, submitted Himself to Mary, to His creation. The Scripture says that He was mocked, that He was ridiculed, He was falsely accused while He was upon this earth, that they ripped His body apart with a cat of nine tails, that He was 
spit upon, that they uh, hit him in his face, that he was falsely accused, that they ripped the beard from his cheek, that they uh, platted, a, uh, they placed a crown of thorns upon his brow, and uh, they bowed in mock and said, Hail, King of the Jews. The scriptures tell us plainly that he uh, marched up Golgotha's hill uh, bearing the cross and was nailed to that cross and hung between heaven and earth. And he who knew no sin was made sin for us. That for three hours the whole earth was made dark. And the God of heaven poured out every bit of wrath that I deserve and every bit of wrath that you deserve for our sin upon Jesus Christ. And He bore our sin. He was wounded for our transgression and bruised for our iniquity. He suffered many things at the hands of wicked men. Yes, I know. That it was the plan and purpose of God Almighty from the foundation of the world. And thank God for that. But God used the instrument of wicked men to punish, if you will, the Lord Jesus Christ. And beloved, we are called to be like Christ. Even if that means suffering for His sake. Now, I want to say this and be very plain. Suffering for Christ is different than reaping the harvest of sin. There is a difference. The Scriptures are plain. Whatsoever God is not mocked, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. If you reap under the flesh, you will, or if you sow under the flesh, you will reap corruption, is what the Scripture says. If you sow under the Spirit, you will reap life. Is what the scripture says this morning. But there is a reality this morning that you and I may be called on to suffer. We're dealing with the thought of God's work being accomplished. And can I say this, that you may be here suffering this morning, but rest assured that God has not abandoned you. God has not abandoned His work. You may find yourself in the furnace of affliction, but take heart that the God that guided you there will be the same God that will deliver you. May we not forget that the same God that led Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah into the fiery furnace is the same God that put Nebuchadnezzar in power. May we not forget the same God that led Daniel to the lion's den is the same God that shut the mouth of every lion in the place. What I'm getting at this morning is that suffering is expected in serving God. Suffering isn't, oh, we got to eat bologna instead of ribeye. Suffering, oh, that's not suffering for Jesus. I don't know what the future holds. I really don't. You look at the political scene of our country and you look at the political scene around the world, I don't know what's coming down the line. It very well may be that we're required to either deny our faith or die. I don't know. But this I do know. If God has begun a good work in you, He will perform it. 
Oh, could we not look at one? Think about this church. I've got to hurry. Think about this church. You do some studying in history. You'll remember when Nero was in power, uh, the great fire of Rome happens and the bunch of the city of Rome is set on fire. What does Nero go and do? He blames the Christians. The scriptures, or history tells us that he took those believers of that day, he dipped them in tar, and he set them on fire and used them as candles in the street. Now, if the numbers are true, that happened somewhere around A.D. 64. If the numbers are true, Paul the Apostle wrote this letter in A.D. 62. The church of Philippi was on the planet when that persecution happened. This church knew what it was to suffer. But it was reasonable that they suffered. Oh, beloved, all of the suffering that we may endure for the cause of Christ will pale in comparison to what Jesus endured on our behalf. If you're going to serve God, there's going to be suffering. But then there also must be, number two, solidarity. Solidarity. You know as well as I do that this was a letter written to a church written to a body of believers. We've tried to establish that in the beginning. You might have missed it. That God saved Lydia, he saved the Philippian jailer, the woman possessed the spirit of divination, and their families, and started the church of Philippi. Remember that was like 45 minutes ago? Remember that? It ain't been that long. That was a joke. Y'all can smile. It's all right. He writes to this church and makes this statement. Fulfill you my joy. Be like-minded. Having the same love, being of one accord, and of one mind. You have to ask and answer the question, what is the foundation of our faith and practice? The idea of solidarity, if I could put it to you in simple people terms, is that we're on the same page. Everybody understand that? We believe the same thing. We understand the same thing. We have the same goal and the same desire. We are living in a generation of division, are we not? I ain't talking about worldly division. I'm talking about in the church and uh, among the people of God. We're worried about uh, whether we should use the King James or not. We're worried about whether uh, in, the, in, in the real conservative quote-unquote Baptist, we're worried about if women can wear pants or not. We're worried about if men can wear shorts or not. In the Southern Baptist, you're worried about if women can pastor. In case you missed that, in Anaheim, California, they spend all day trying to figure out if a woman can pastor. I just tell you the answer is no. All right. You can't be the husband of one wife. That was easy. That took me two seconds to figure out. We're living in a day of division, are we not? You worried about Southern Baptists, Independent Baptists, Missionary Baptists, and all the rest of it. We worried about what color the carpet is. Maybe that don't happen at y'all's church. I need to come to church here evidently because oh, we got problems everywhere I have been. We got kind of crazy problems. Worried about where we're going to spend this money, that money, what we're going to do here, what we're going to do there. I say that to say this. That's not how God's called us to live. He says be like-minded. That means to think or to judge the same. He says be of the same love, 
means to have the same affection or desire, to be in one accord. Man, you didn't know the disciples rolled around in, uh, rolled around in a car, did you? They were all in one accord. Man, y'all, y'all, y'all all right? That was funny. Come on now. The idea, what I'm getting at this morning is this. It is God that builds his church. It's what Jesus said. Upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Matthew 16, 18. You cannot be divided as a church and accomplish the purpose of God that God has put you here for. That was the problem. I read it this morning in the church at the church of Corinth. I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas. And Paul said, I'm glad I baptized none of you. That's what he said. He said, be of one mind, of one accord. Have the same goal and the same desire. What was the goal and desire of the church of Philippi? To spread the gospel. The gospel is mentioned nine times in this epistle. You know, and if you read, if you're familiar with the New Testament that Paul references uh, in the end of this book as well as 2 Corinthians chapter 8, that the church of Philippi gave to the work of God and the, and the ministry that Paul had to further the gospel. Beloved, we must be busy about spreading the gospel. There's nothing else to preach. There's nothing else to teach but the gospel. The gospel. The gospel's not a five-point system. Amen. The gospel's not my opinion. The gospel's not your opinion. The gospel's not. The gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul said. I delivered unto you that which I first received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, was buried and resurrected the third day according to the Scripture. You want to teach on the holiness of God? Run to the gospel. You want to teach on our Christian living? Run to the gospel. You want to teach on being a godly husband? Run to the gospel. You want to teach on being a godly wife? Run to the gospel. You want to see a church grow? Preach the gospel. You want to see a church grow? Teach the gospel. You want to see your family saved? Declare the gospel. Christ and the gospel of Christ throughout this book. It's the theme, really, of the book of Philippians is the gospel. I wonder tonight, or this morning, are you consumed with the gospel? There's been a lot of things that I've got over I got a pretty nice truck in the parking lot, according to my standard anyway. And we had it, I don't know, about six months, and I decided, which I ain't done it yet, that I want to upgrade the stereo in there because I want the big, nice touchscreen they make because I don't got it. That's just the way it went. I ain't done it yet, but I want it. And then I decided I want some wheels and tires. And then I decided I want, and I'm just telling you how it went. 
You get over things, don't you? Buy a new vehicle, then you want a new one. Get new clothes, and you don't like them no more, so you give them to the Goodwill, then you go buy stuff off the Internet. There's a lot of things I've got over, but there is one thing I have never got over, and that is the gospel. Things have come and things have gone. Feelings have risen and feelings have fallen. But the reality remains that the greatest news that mankind has ever received is the gospel. The greatest news that I ever received was that Jesus died for me. The greatest news that you could ever receive is that Jesus died for you. What a message. I was listening to the John MacArthur podcast and they're dealing with the, uh, the events of 9-11 and how Brother MacArthur responded to uh, the events of 9-11. In the podcast, it records, it's got an audio recording of him getting up and making this statement on the Sunday after 9-11. 9-11 is on a Tuesday, the Sunday after. He said, I'm going to talk to you this morning about the single greatest event that has affected all of human history. And he opens the Bible and he says that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, was buried and resurrected the third day according to the Scriptures. If I do anything with my life of any value, it will be this, that you hear the Gospel, that I preach the Gospel, that I teach the Gospel. I don't know if I mentioned this in the update, but we got a baby on the way. And the greatest responsibility that I've got, I don't think I mentioned that, so there's your surprise, is that I teach that baby the gospel. Amen. That my wife hears from my lips the gospel. That my dad, uh, though his life's in a mess, that he hear the gospel. That my mom hear the gospel. That anybody and everybody that I come in contact with hears the gospel. I read the story of two brothers that were on their journey to preach. And they come to the crossroads where one's to go this way and one's to go that way. And the one looks at the other and he says, uh, may, uh, may, we, uh, may the Lord shine upon you this day. And he responds and says, well, if not, may we speak well of him behind his back. Beloved, this morning we have the greatest responsibility in all of the world. Have you ever thought about that? That God has laid the responsibility at your feet to preach the gospel. You are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. We have been given, uh, Paul says, be reconciled unto God. And I believe it's 2 Corinthians 5. And then he goes on to say, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. There's going to be people, uh, that was bad English, there are going to be people that you're going to come in contact with that I can't reach. There is going to be people that I'm going to come in contact with that you can't reach. God has determined the end from the beginning. Amen? But He's also determined the means by which that end is to come to pass. I don't know how you feel about eschatology. I just tell you how I feel. I'm right and you're wrong. That was good. 
That was, man, y'all, y'all all right? That was funny too. I don't I guess I'm that funny. Jesus makes this statement in Matthew 24 that the end would come when the whole, when the gospel is preached to every nation. We know, you read the book of Revelation, there's going to be a people out of every nation, every kindred, every tribe, and every tongue, in unison bow and proclaim, worthy is the Lamb that was slain forever and ever and ever and ever. How's that going to happen? Through the gospel. How are they going to hear the gospel? Through us, through me, and through you. God's work this morning is through the local church. I believe that. That, that is God's program. It's the local church. If God is going to accomplish anything, He does it through the local church. God's good work in our service, but quickly, and I'm just going to hit this quickly. You say, how am I to accomplish all of this? It's God that redeems sinners, and yes, it's God that works in us and through us to accomplish His purpose. Uh, no doubt about that. How is all this going to come to pass? Chapter 4 and verse 19. Really, go back to verse 13. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me or strengthens me. I got some real bad news for you this morning. I know, I know. You done ordered the t-shirt for Jimmy's softball and they've done put Philippians 4.13 on there that we can win every softball game this season. That ain't what Paul's talking about. Sorry. Paul's talking about having everything that he needs, the strength. That Greek word there is the word, if I'm pronouncing it uh, correctly, it is the Greek word endunamis. We find this word used or a, a breakdown of this word in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 where Jesus said that you shall receive power after that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. That word power, dunamis. In dunamis, dunamis, same word. We get the English word from that word, dynamite. Paul says... For I can do all things through Christ, which gives me a boatload of dynamite. I like, I like blowing stuff up. I don't know about y'all. I, I guess I'm weird. I like catching stuff on fire, and I like blowing stuff up for fun. I really do. I like bonfires and all that kind of stuff. We was growing up in a youth group that I went to, the first church, and we, uh, this fellow said he got saved and wanted to have everybody over to his house have a bonfire. I said, cool. So we went over there. He had telephone poles and trees and limbs and all kind of craziness in this pile. And he had put, uh, put tannerite throughout that thing and got a rifle and shot it. And it blew up and caught on fire and we had a big old bonfire. That's how we went. It was cool. It was great. I love Fourth of July. I like watching fireworks blow up. I really do. It's cool to me for some reason. I guess I'm a pyrotechnic or whatever they call it. My grandpa, my stepmom's dad, I'm going somewhere with this illustration, I promise, said that when they would clear land back in the day, they would set off dynamite. They'd blow trees over. 
He said when they went to make their well at their house, and it still works, they drilled a hole in the ground and stuck dynamite in it and blew up and blew the rock out of the way. We understand dynamite. We understand that if God, if you set off dynamite, it's going to have an effect on everything around it. You following me? I wonder tonight, or this morning, have you been setting off any gospel bombs lately? Have you been blowing anything apart for Jesus? Is there a trail if you turn around and look and say, oh, we know brother so-and-so been through here. Look at all that. I ain't saying you got to be crazy. You ought to be, you ought to be as uh, wise as serpents and harmless as doves. I know that. I understand all that. But what I'm getting at is, if you're really living like Jesus wants you to live, there is going to be an effect not only upon you, but upon those around you. Amen. And if there is an effect, going to be God that does it in you this morning. Hey, He's still working on me. Is He still working on you? If He is working on you, I've got real good news. He's going to complete it. You say, I know this has probably been scattered and you ain't never going to have me back again. That's okay. I mean, he'd be all right. How in the world did God use the church of Philippi in my life? I mean, this is a local church. These were real people, right? Let me give you this. Now follow me, all right? God starts the church of Philippi, the church, the first church in Europe. The gospel goes forth from the first church in Europe, all throughout Europe. It ends up uh, in uh, what we know now as uh, modern-day Britain and that area, and they take this same gospel and they float across this, uh, the big ocean on this boat called the Mayflower. They end up in Plymouth Rock with a Bible in their hand and the same gospel that the church of Philippi held to. And uh, the God uses that gospel to save souls and change lives and start churches. And through this really cool thing called the Western Expansion, these people migrate west with the same gospel and the same Christ that the church of Philippi had and held to. And they start a church somewhere. And your great, 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 great granddaddy or grandma heard the gospel and it was passed down from generation to generation and somebody somewhere gave you the gospel and God granted you repentance and God granted you faith. In that same gospel, all as a result of God completing His work at the church of Philippi. God shall supply all of your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That don't mean you're going to have everything you want, but you will have everything you need to spend your days serving Jesus. I don't know about you, but when my dying day comes, I want to hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Don't you? What's the end of all? What is the end of all of this? If God has begun a work and God will complete a work, look at the very last statement that Paul makes in verse 20 of chapter 4, and I'll close with this. Now unto God and our Father be glory 
forever and ever. Amen. The end result of God beginning a work in your life and God working today in your life to further the gospel is that He receive the glory. That's it. All of the benefits of being a Christian, those are the byproduct. The prime product is the glory of God. Paul said, He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You may be in a season this morning where you don't see God. You may be like Esther where God's name don't seem like it's mentioned nowhere in your life. But you can rest that if God's begun to work, it's going to be perfect because it's His work. I like the story in Jeremiah, I think it's Jeremiah 18, of the potter and the clay. The potter finds the clay and molds the clay and uh, makes what the potter wants the clay to be. And there's times where the potter says, no, I don't want it like that, and he shatters the clay. This morning, if God has redeemed you from your sin and saved you, you're but clay in the potter's hand, and he is making you and molding you into what, you, what he wants you to be. And what he wants you to be is like Jesus. And there may, but there may be times uh, where he takes where it seems like he takes your life and he shatters it into a million pieces. But I've got good news: the potter is well able to take the broken pieces and make again a new vessel that we might be trophies of His grace and His goodness. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. And there's going to come a day where that work is going to be done. Father, thank you for this day, your goodness. Father, I pray that you take these feeble faults and you use them for your honor and glory. Lord, I pray that you'd help this church, help Brother Bruce and uh, Brother Tom and uh, the others as they leave the church here. God, give them direction and grace and ability. Lord, I pray for the membership of this church that you'd help them to grow in their understanding of you, help them to walk with you. Lord, help them to be busy about the Father's business of spreading the gospel. Father, I ask you, Lord, that uh, you would change hearts and change lives today. Lord, uh, I pray that your will and your work would be accomplished in this service, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.